We have been and continue to be in uh, the ninth chapter of Daniel, uh, looking at this great uh, prayer that Daniel prays. And I thought a few weeks ago, wow, what a great lead up to these holidays, uh, because it's all about repentance and remembering, uh, you know, the nature of God and the need to be contrite and recognize that uh, it's not just about me, but about us. And just everything is in this, in this uh, uh, chapter. So we've been looking at it for the past uh, few weeks. And, and uh, just by way of reminder that uh, the 70 years of captivity in Babylon was almost over. Daniel was familiar with the prophecies in Jeremiah. And also uh, he was familiar with the words of Moses, as we see here. And he knew that it was coming to an end. And so he begins to pray. And he doesn't pray just, Lord, bring it to an end, like it's about time. Lord, give me a sign so I'll know when it is. He doesn't pray anything like that. You know, uh, show me this in the sky. Show me this over here. No. Uh, what he does is he prays this magnanimous prayer of humility and repentance on behalf of himself and all of the Jewish people everywhere regardless of wherever they may be. And we said last time that uh, his deportment itself, the way he talks about himself, also shows his, his humility, uh, his, uh, as it says here, uh, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. That is uh, not the way you come uh, to celebrate like your birthday, you know, uh, or uh, just some great joyous moment. It is uh, the way you might come on, on Yom Kippur. You know, a great uh, uh, a description of contrition, you know, of being contrite before God uh, and grievous over sin and so on. Uh, and, uh, and so he begins to pray. And we looked at the first part of this. Now what we want to do is uh, we want to read... I want to begin in verse 7 uh, and go to about verse um, 14. So in Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 7, in this prayer, he says, Righteousness belongs to thee, O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is this day. To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, and all the countries to which thou hast driven them because of their unfaithful deeds, which they have committed against thee. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belongs compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets." Indeed, all Israel has transgressed thy law and turned aside, not obeying thy voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words, which he has spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us, to bring on us calamity, for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done in Jerusalem. to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us. And we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to thy truth. 
Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds, which he has done. But we have not obeyed his voice. Okay? So this section really is the heart of this confession. All right? And it's a great model for us and a great understanding of how we should be as we approach uh, the high holy days. Okay? So he compares, basically, the righteousness of God to the sinfulness of the people. And as you know, when we blow the shofar, all the times we're going to blow it. You know, yesterday Paul came and we kind of practiced the whole thing, you know, getting ready for uh, Rosh Hashanah. And as you know, we don't blow the shofar the rest of the year, but we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. And when we hear the sound of the shofar, it's like a wake-up call, you know, like an alarm clock going off. And, uh, you know, we have uh, different uh, options. We can press snooze, you know, go back to sleep, right, for another time. We can uh, ignore it altogether, sleep through it, or we can wake up. And, you know, uh, and be aware of our surroundings and go about uh, what we're supposed to be doing. And so when we wake up from our slumber, uh, we're to remember the righteousness of God. We're to remember our sinfulness. We're to remember that we need to repent, that we need to return to God, that we need to, as it were, come with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. All the things that are right here uh, in the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel. So in verse 7, he says, Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame. Okay? So you are righteous, and to us shame. Now, reading this, it might seem like, well, obviously, what else is new, you know, and so on and so forth. But when things happen that seem on the surface unexplainable, like if I am someone who... Uh, uh, believes in the God of Israel, I believe in the God of the Bible, you know, and all that. I believe in Yeshua, we would say today, you know, as, um, as a community of believers. How can this happen? Whatever X, Y, and Z is. How can this happen? And that is what people were saying. This is why Daniel, maybe, you know, uh, 68, 69 years in to this captivity, still says, we have not repented. You know, let's not miss that part here. This is not everyone praying in unison, right? This is Daniel praying. And so the people uh, evidently have, are still in rebellion. And perhaps what they are saying is, I don't believe this could really happen. How could this happen to us? Remember, I think we read this last week. Uh, uh, in Jeremiah... In the seventh chapter, Jeremiah is standing on the steps of the temple, and he's mimicking what other people are saying. You know, oh, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Meaning, how could it, you know, we are Jews, we have the temple, we represent God in this world. God is not going to cause the temple to be destroyed. He's not going to displace us from the land. After all, this is who we are, and, and, uh, and that just can't happen. And Jeremiah says, you know, that's not, you're misunderstanding uh, the covenant. Yes, he, does, he never slumbers or sleeps, and he's not going to do away with us, but he will chastise us, and we can be removed from this land, and individually we can suffer the consequences 
of the actions of our people and of ourselves. And they, and they would, they would, they didn't believe it. And consequently, there was the Babylonian captivity. And so we may think that, well, once the temple is destroyed and the people went to Babylon, they got it. They figured it out. Not necessarily. They still needed prophets. That's why Ezekiel was raised up. Ezekiel is a prophet of the captivity, of the beginning part of the captivity. We may not realize that. But the prophet Ezekiel, all those, you know, 48 chapters, big, you know, next to Jeremiah, big book of the Bible, right? He is prophesying on the way to Babylon and in Babylon, okay? Why do they need a prophet? Because they still weren't getting it. And we see here, uh, in all the way to the very end, it seems that they were not uh, uh, getting it. And so Daniel is praying this prayer of confession. And so in this comparison, in verse 7 and following, righteousness belongs to thee, O Lord, but to us open shame, and that you are right in all that you do, and, and all of that. Uh, like in that day, when people are saying, how could this happen to us? People today say the very same thing. How does this happen to us? How could this, how could this be? See, And what Daniel is declaring is that God is righteous, and everything that happens, it's not what he's done, it's what we've done. Yes, they're in a covenant relationship, and God is not going to send Israel away forever. However, uh, the judgment that is coming uh, is because they have not listened to the voice of the prophets. They have not listened to the voice of Moses, uh, and they have not obeyed uh, the Lord. Uh, and so this is what happens. Now, you know, today it's kind of interesting when you um, uh, read books and uh, blogs and things of that nature, uh, that people who purport to be atheists, right? Okay. Oftentimes you read, not all the time, not painting a broad picture of everyone, but oftentimes it is, uh, you know, I was raised believing certain things about God and I found out it was all like a, just a bill of goods, you know, it was all make-believe because it didn't turn out the way that I thought, see? So the problem is, from the perspective of these folks, that there really is no God. Otherwise, X, Y, and Z would not have happened. And so therefore, you know, uh, I need to set the record straight and, uh, and disparage the Bible and show that uh, this cannot be because, boy, if there really is a God, uh, uh, you know, he wouldn't be doing this kind of thing, right? Uh, and and, and we, maybe we're sitting here thinking the same thing. Maybe we're in some kind of struggle like that ourselves, you know, as we uh, look at the world or our, our lives around us. Well, what we need to recognize is, is that we are in a covenant relationship with God and there is responsibility on both sides of it. We're not talking about uh, the eternal issues of, you know, eternal destinies uh, of, of heaven and hell and all that necessarily, but being in a covenant relationship with God means that I, there's a, I'm in a contractual arrangement with God. Now, the great thing is, is that the contract can never be broken. But there are stipulations in it. See? The contract will never be broken. And we do read, as we'll see, about compassion and, and mercy. But I do have responsibility uh, in it. And this is what Daniel is confessing, that our people have not recognized this responsibility. And as we approach the holidays, 
we need to recognize that as well and not sort of sit there saying, God, you're not coming through, you know? But rather, we need to look, as it were, in a mirror and say to ourselves, where am I in, in all of this? See? So that's why it's so important when he says, righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame. So he is affirming the fact that God is indeed righteous, even though they're in Babylon. And even though the rest of the, the Jewish people are scattered in many countries, right? What Daniel is saying, we've done this. And so that's why he is confessing the sins of the people on behalf of people far and wide in many countries and in Babylon, the Jewish people uh, everywhere, near and far away, right? We have sinned against you. And he talks about our kings, our princes, our fathers, all of us, right? Then in verse 9, interestingly enough, in the middle of all this, he says, To the Lord our God belongs compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. When you read that sentence all by itself, it kind of doesn't make sense. To the Lord our God belongs compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. One would think it would say, To the Lord our God belongs judgment and death, for we have rebelled against him. See, But the point is, is that there's two sides of the coin in a covenant relationship. And one side is chastisement, no doubt. The other side is forgiveness and restitution and, and, and reconciliation and all of that. See, now on a little, uh, a little uh, coming attractions, uh, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in those services, I'm going to be talking about the great passage uh, that's not only two verses, but in Ezekiel, um, Exodus, a portion of chapter 33 and 34. The whole scene of uh, after the aftermath of the golden calf, not, not the sin itself and all that, but the aftermath of the second time around uh, and, uh, and, and what that means and, and the, these attributes of God and what they mean in the context of our own lives and, and of uh, responsibility of living before God and all of that. And that's what he says here. He's really, uh, you know, Daniel was well aware, evidently, of the uh, Torah, uh, as well as uh, what you read in uh, Jeremiah, because when he says to the Lord becomes compassion, to belongs compassion and forgiveness, that comes right out of Exodus chapter 34, that God reminds the people uh, of that, even though the commandments were broken and this terrible thing has happened, God is still full of compassion and forgiveness, even when there's chastisement, even when we experience the curse, the blessing, life as it comes to us, you see, that uh, uh, there still is compassion and forgiveness. So he goes on to say again in verse 10, nor have we rebelled against him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. We have not listened to him, to walk in his teachings, which he has set before us through the, the servant, the prophets. There's that word, walk, halakha, right? To live out our lives, that word walk. When, when we read it in the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant, when Paul says, for example, the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. He's using it in the very same context. He gets it from uh, his informed theology, from the Tanakh, from the Hebrew scriptures, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. 
And so walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. We neglected it. We have not done it. We have created our own system of how we want to identify ourselves and live our lives and be religious. But we've not walked in his ways. We've not walked in his teachings. And, and it's very important because you cannot isolate the, the Torah or the law, I'll use the law of Moses from covenant relationship. Okay? You can't isolate the laws from covenant relationship. And what I mean by that is I, the way Daniel understands the Torah and the way we read it everywhere is not just simply there are laws that God gave and if you don't keep them, he kills you. Okay? There are laws that he gave and if you don't keep them, he kicks you out. Okay? Well, there's people that teach that way. So you know what's kind of interesting? There's people that teach that way. There's people who uh, identify themselves as, you know, Messiah followers, believers. Maybe they are and just have a little misunderstanding of the, of the Torah. Who view the way we walk as new covenant followers of Messiah that way. So that we live in this tremendous fear that, okay, I'm a believer in Yeshua, but if I mess up, I'm done. Yeah, there, there are people that either teach that way or believe that way, Right? Then there are people, this is where it gets a little complicated, then there are people that teach about Judaism that way. Then there are people in churches that teach about the Jewish people that way. You know? Uh, uh, People that read it in a book or something. You know what I mean? Uh, They read a a Jewish roots book, so now experts on everything Jewish. Right? Uh, That, you know, uh, the Jews teach that if you break a law, you're done. No, that also is not true, all right? I, now, uh, there are forms of maybe uh, Judaism that teach that way, just as there are forms of, of so-called Christianity that teach that way. doesn't make it right, right? Right. Uh, and that's really very important. You cannot isolate the laws from covenant relationship. That's what that teaching is. That teaching does not take into consideration the Torah as given in the context of a promise of God. You know, and that's important. The promise of God is that he's never going to leave us or forsake us. But there are covenant stipulations. It's not anything goes, ever. And there's, there's chastisement. There is forgiveness, but there is consequences to actions, spiritually and physically in this world. And, and you know, that's why, you know, when we sometimes uh, uh, sin and do something that also happens to be against the law of the land, and we're chastised for it legally, that is a reflection of how it's supposed to work, you see? Uh, and, and, and so in the same way, when we do something that may be not illegal or illegal, something else, but we're chastised from God. That's how it works. And the idea is not that we uh, whip ourselves into a frenzy for the rest of our lives and walk around guilt-ridden for the rest of our lives, but that it drives us to God. It drives us to his forgiveness. And that is what's motivating Daniel here. Daniel, I mean, when you think about it, on one hand, you could read this prayer and be real depressed. You know, we've sinned. We've sinned. Every one of us we sinned. And, and you're righteous in sending us into captivity which sounds almost scandalous, you know. 
we've not listened to your voice. We've not listened to the prophets. One could come away perhaps thinking all is lost then. All is lost. Okay? When he goes on, you know, he says, uh, all Israel has transgressed thy law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Okay? So he's saying that what you said has happened. What you have said, this that should not be a surprise to us, because hundreds of years ago, you said this and things like this would happen. Okay? So it says again in verse 12, thus he has confirmed his words, the action of being in the, in the captivity. Thus he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done to Jerusalem. So he's talking about the terrible things that happened under the reign of uh, Nebuchadnezzar and, and of the destruction of the temple and the, the, the pillaging of the city and the destruction and the death and all of it. As it is written in the law of Moses. Very interesting. He says written, if you notice this carefully, if you observe the text real carefully, he talks about the law of Moses as written in the law of Moses, but we have not obeyed, we have not listened to the words of the prophet. So it's very interesting. The prophet spoke to us, but we have, in Daniel's day, the written Torah of Moses. Very interesting. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord. He's not saying, yet we did not seek the favor of the Lord, so we went into captivity. He's saying, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord, our God, by turning from our iniquity and giving our attention to thy truth. Uh, so first here, uh, oh, then, well, therefore the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. You know, kept it in store. It's a very, it's very interesting. It's like he's held on to it and then like let it go at the time of his choosing. He is not a bystander in any of this. He's not weak. He is not absent. He's absolutely involved. Okay? And brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds, which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. Okay. Now, you know, when I was reading this um, through the first few times, I, one of the things I wondered about was, you know, we've all heard of the curse and the blessing, right? The curse and the blessing. The curse is like a judgment. You shouldn't read too much. It's not like a curse from like some witch or something like, you know, the curse of something or other, you know what I mean, that's on us. No, it's a judgment, judgment, okay? But what's interesting is the little phrase... In verse 11, right in the middle, so the curse has been poured out on us along with the oath, which is written in the law of Moses. So I thought to myself, self, what oath is this talking about? What is the curse and the oath? So, you know, I got out the old concordance, electronically, right? Uh, and saw that it only, the only time you ever read about a curse and an oath is just in a very few places, but the first place is in Deuteronomy chapter 29. So it's very interesting. So if you turn back to Deuteronomy, book of Deuteronomy, first, first actually, since we're in the neighborhood, if we look, go back to chapter 27 of Deuteronomy, and this is where, this is this week's portion. How convenient. 
right? And so here we read about uh, curses. Oh, we love to talk about these things. Let me tell you. Okay. But unfortunately, we, never, we hardly ever read them in the context of how, what it's talking about. So there have been many a Beth Messiah Torah study uh, where in this portion, someone invariably asks, so are we under a curse? You know, as if it's like a curse, like someone spoke a curse, like you'd see in the movies. You, you, know, you know what I mean? Uh, and the answer is unequivocally no. Uh, first of all, the word is not the way we use it uh, today, and uh, it does speak of particular uh, judgments. And so the question then is, okay, so um, if I do this particular thing, then am I like lost or something? No. The first thing uh, to always remember is this. As it says in the Brit Hadashah, there is no condemnation, right, for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. There is no sin that is greater than the grace of God. There's no sin that has God over a barrel, okay? So please, remember that, all right? When we confess our sins, God forgives us and cleanses us, right? Absolutely, okay? So remember that, all right? Now, so why is this even here then? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. What is happening here, Deuteronomy 27, if you're familiar with it. You know there's only 34 chapters in the book of Deuteronomy. This is a little Torah, uh, MSI Torah course advertisement, okay? One of the things we're going to learn is how this all is put together, you know, and why certain things are in certain places and how the Torah functions and all that. So here, uh, at the end, it's no coincidence that at the end of Leviticus and at the end of Deuteronomy, you have these sections of blessings and curses, uh, the end of Leviticus is technically, in a sense, the end of the portion of the Torah that is, uh, you know, the, 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 the laws, generally speaking. Because then, then in Numbers, you have basically the history of the wilderness wanderings. And in Deuteronomy, you have uh, Moses is giving these speeches uh, uh, in a very short period of time. And most of it is retelling uh, many of the laws, okay? But at the end of Deuteronomy, you have the end of the retelling of it, and at the end of Leviticus, you have the end of the telling of it, okay? So the blessings and the curses are like an epilogue. It's like, uh, uh, to summarize, you know, uh, obedience leads to blessing, disobedience leads to a curse or chastisement or a judgment, all right? But now, not only that, is it a summary, but look at what it actually says here in Deuteronomy. These are instructions of what to do when you enter the land. All right? So if you look uh, in verse 5 of Deuteronomy 27. Oh, I had to start. Verse 4. Oh, let's start in Genesis 1. No. All right? Uh, in Deuteronomy uh, 27, in, in verse 4. All right. So it shall be when you cross the Jordan, you shall set up on Mount Ebal these stones, as I am commanding you today, and you shall coat them with lime. Moreover, you shall build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not wield an iron tool on them. You shall build the altar of the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer on it burnt offerings to the Lord your God. 
and you shall sacrifice peace offerings and eat there. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of this law uh, very distinctly. Then Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all Israel, saying, Be silent and listen, O Israel. This day you have become a people for the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the Lord your God and do his commandments and his statutes while I command you today. Moses also charged the people that day, saying, so first he's saying, build an altar and obey me. Now he says, Moses also charged the people on that day, saying, now in verse 12 of Deuteronomy 27, when you cross the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And for the curse, these shall stand on Mount Ebal, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. The Levites shall then answer and say to all the men of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed is the man who makes an idol, and so on. So, this is what they're supposed to say when some are on Mount Ebal and on Mount Gerizim. This is like a liturgy. This is like, say these words, okay? And then you shall, uh, you know, uh, you have the blessings in chapter, uh, in chapter 28, okay? Uh, and so the point of it is, and you see it all the way down, I'm not going to take the time to read uh, the whole thing, but the point is, is that these blessings and curses are like, in a way, they're like proverbial statements, you know, uh, at the end. It's like a saying, and you have a, a variety of the laws. Not all of them. You know, if you were to say, well, no, no, it says, cursed is this one. So does that mean uh, for the, all the rest of the laws that are not mentioned in uh, Deuteronomy 27 and 28, nothing happens? You know? Uh, no. These are representative sins and blessings. They're representative of, of all of them. And so the point is, is that there's a curse and a blessing. And so, uh, in, so here in chapter 27 and in 28, we read about curses and, and blessings for obedience uh, or disobedience and obedience, respectively. Okay? Now, it is interesting, in chapter 28, if you go down to verse... 49. He talks here about what happens with disobedience, ultimately. Now they're entering the land, right? And he says this, The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth as the eagle swoops down, a nation whose language you shall not understand, a nation of fierce countenance who shall have no respect for the old, nor shall favor for the young. Moreover, it shall eat the offspring of your herd and the produce of your ground until you are destroyed who also leaves you no grain, and so on. In verse 52, And it shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout your land. And it shall besiege you in all your towns throughout your land, uh, which the Lord your God has, uh, has given you. All right? Uh, and you can read about all, you know, all these different plagues and things that happen. Daniel is saying this has happened. He understands it. This has happened that the word of Moses is true, okay? Now, in chapter 29, though, it begins, These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he had made with them at Horeb. That's fascinating. 
besides the covenant he made with them at Horeb. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his servants in all his land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, those great signs and wonders. Yet to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. In other words, Moses says, you have these laws, you have this way of life, but you do not have the ability to keep it. You don't, you don't have the ability to keep it, okay? And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn out on your foot. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or strong drink, in order that you might know that I am the Lord your God. When you reach this place, Sion, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out to meet us for battle, but we defeated them. Look what God has done. Despite ourselves, look what God has done. And we took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of the Manasites. So the word of this covenant, so keep the words of this covenant to do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. Okay? You stand today, all of you, before the Lord your God your chiefs, your tribes, your elders, and your officers, even all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, the aliens who is within your camps, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into the covenant which the Lord your God, and into his oath, there it is, and into his oath which the Lord your God is making with you today, in order that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God just as he spoke to you, and as he swore to your fathers, uh, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, not with you alone am I making this covenant, but with those who stand here today in the presence of the Lord our God, and with those who are not with us here today. Okay? So, he's saying, whether you're here, whether, you're, whether it's a future generation, a past generation, with all of us, this is this covenant. So, he's saying, it's not like the covenant I made uh, at uh, Sinai, okay? Why? Because it's not just simply the stipulations, you know, uh, uh, the blessings and curses, but he understands our frailty, and we do need to be obedient or we will face consequences, but there's a big however here. And this is what motivates Daniel. If you go all the way to, verse thir- to chapter 30, aren't you glad we're not going all the way through the, all 29 verses here, right? All right, if you go to chapter 30, part of this covenant is, so it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, you and your children, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you, and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. So Daniel, and he gives us a hint when he says the, the, um, the covenant and the oath comes right from this passage. And the covenant and the oath is basically the same thing, but he, he uses that phrase. It comes out of Deuteronomy 29 and 30. I mean, it's all one passage. Daniel is aware that if we cry out, that if we turn, and if we cry out to God where we're banished, he'll return us, okay? And that's what Daniel is praying for, that compassion, you know, and for that forgiveness of God, see? Now, what Daniel did not realize, but which 
will come to the, in the answer to his prayer at the end of chapter 9, is that the end of the 70 years is not actually the end, ultimately, of the captivity. The people will return, but not all the people. And it's going to be 70 times 7, which not only stands for 490 years, literally, but a really long time when, when sin is completely dealt with. And it's the end of the age altogether, see? And so Daniel is aware of this. And one of the things that takes place, yes, the people return, right? You may be familiar with the rest of the story. The people return, but sin doesn't go away. Sin doesn't go away. They rebuild the temple. Sin doesn't go away. They continue to rebel because of their humanity. Just like Moses says, God has not given you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. They were still the same people when they came back from the captivity. But God in his grace and his mercy let them come back. But it wasn't the end of the story. And we know that in God's time, he sent the Messiah. He sent Yeshua. And you see, when we get to the answer to Daniel's prayer at the end of chapter 9, we see that the angel who speaks to Daniel and explains to him, tells him when the Messiah is going to come. Okay, And so we know that Yeshua has come. And we know that the beginning of the end of the age is upon us. But it's not over yet. There's still this consummation. And there's still going to be uh, uh, all of this tumultuous activity among our people because we're still the same people. We're still people without eyes to see, ears to hear. Uh, and all, and without an understanding, because most of our people and most of the people of this world still have rejected the word of God. Yeshua himself said, if you had believed in Moses, you would believe in me. And so we're still in this state of rebellion. And we, we who kind of are like Daniel, who uh, understand this word, and we, in our day, of course, the Messiah has come and we embrace him and we do have eyes to see and ears to hear and we do have a heart for understanding. We need to pray like Daniel prayed for our people and for this world and we need to intercede because it is still true. It is still true that God is righteous. It is still true that there's a covenant relationship. It is still true that God judges sin. It is still true that when we're in a covenant relationship with him, uh, we're like children who are to have to be disciplined when we disobey. And it's part of his calling us to himself. And it's still true that the end result of that is that he wants us to come back to him. That's what he wants us to do, is to return to him and to rejoice and to have joy and peace in our heart. And when we receive Messiah into our lives, individually, that is what we've done. It's like we've come to the end of the age individually. You know what I mean? But... The text is not written to us individually. It's written to us as a people. And so therefore, we're still part of a people who reject. And so we suffer the consequences along with everybody else. But we have this hope because like Daniel, we know God is a God of compassion and forgiveness and that the story is not over. And that individually, the great news is, is that we can participate in the beginnings of this invisible kingdom that we look forward to at the end and we can experience the forgiveness of sins. 
We can experience God's compassion in a way that we could never have before. And we can live that way regardless of our circumstances. Because if we have eyes to see, we see that the circumstances are because of sin in this world. And I still live in this world. This in-between time. You know, in between when Yeshua revealed himself and when the consummation of everything is. See? And so, uh, uh, Daniel is aware of this. And here in Deuteronomy 30, he talks about, Moses talks about returning to the land. And then he says, uh, see that now in verse um, uh, uh, 2 and 3 of Deuteronomy 30. And you return to the Lord your God and obey with him with your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. And then he goes on to talk about, in verse 6, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. That is what happened when Yeshua came, when we embrace Yeshua. We have this circumcised heart. Why do you read about a circumcised heart over and over again in the New Covenant? Because it says it in Deuteronomy. This is the, this is the end time word of the Torah. Okay? This is the good news according to Moses. That this is not all there is. We're not going to struggle forever. But the day is going to come when we'll return and we'll have a changed heart, and we will walk with him. And the good news is we can have that today in Messiah Yeshua. See? Uh, and, and so as we approach these high holy days, let's be thinking about that. Let us be thinking about our own lives, our own sins, confessing our sins, and as we said last time, the sins of our families, the sins of our fathers, just like he talks about our fathers. The sins that, you know, uh, uh, that, that perhaps uh, had ramifications in our own lives. And perhaps that will bring a, a cleansing to us to pray that way, to confess those kinds of sins. And may we enter into these high holy days, therefore, with a contrite heart, praying this way. And may we sense real forgiveness and cleansing and a new beginning of a new year. Uh, in our lives, in Messiah Yeshua. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you, God, for this great prayer of Daniel. Lord, thank you, God, this great confession. Lord, uh, I know that as it continues, we'll understand next week about the compassion and forgiveness when he prays that way for the restoration. But Lord, may we uh, take a page, so to speak, out of the book of Daniel, and may we recognize your righteousness And may we recognize, Lord, that you have done no wrong to us. You have not wronged us. You love us so much that you will do whatever it takes for us to return to you. Lord, even if under the sun it doesn't seem to make sense in our individual lives. But Lord, may we always be driven back to you. Just like Daniel, who lost his family. Who at at a young age was taken, was ripped out from his family and taken to Babylon and had to live basically his whole life, almost his whole life, on foreign soil. Lord, thank you that we see he doesn't blame you for it. He doesn't doesn't ask the question, why is this happening to me if they did this? But he simply sees himself as part of the whole. And Lord, he does not blame you, but he acknowledges your righteousness, and he blames the sin of the people, the people. 
And uh, Lord, may we have that attitude and may that draw us closer to you. May we recognize, as Daniel recognized, that it's not just about me, but it's about us and your covenant with us. Lord, thank you, God, that you, on an individual level, have opened up the eyes and ears and hearts of us here today to know Messiah Yeshua, to recognize that Yeshua really is the Messiah, despite conventional wisdom in the world, that he really is the Messiah, and that today we really can have a slice of this Israel's future today. And may we demonstrate that, Lord, in the way we interact with each other. And may people view us and say, wow, how, could, how does that happen? And Lord, may we be able to share this great news of Messiah Yeshua, no matter what our age is, no matter how long we've uh, known the Lord or whatever. Lord, may we be able to articulate that. And therefore, may we know that there's a hope for the future and that our future is not dependent on peace treaties, presidents, and prime ministers, but our hope is all in you, Lord. And this great word that you gave to Moses, and, and as, as was repeated by the prophets, the call to repent, and Lord, may we heed those words, and may our people heed those words, and not rebel anymore, but seek you out and embrace Yeshua. And Lord, we look forward to that day when you will reveal yourself again in such a magnanimous way that everybody's going to know the truth. And Lord, thank you, God, for the work that you're doing amongst us. May we be faithful to the task that you've called us to here, Lord. And we thank you in Messiah's name.